We're going to turn to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to start reading in verse 35. You could turn in your phones to Luke 18, starting in verse 35. Bex, uh, my wife's grandparents, uh, this year in April, uh, her grandfather is turning 90 years old. Um, he's the same, just a little bit younger than Pastor Mitchell. Pastor Mitchell just turned 90, he turns 90 in April. Uh, and his, wife, his name's Roger, his wife Anne, I believe she's 87 or 88. Um, just a number of years ago, he was still riding his motorbike. Uh, they had to tell him to stop riding his motorbike at 88 years old. Uh, he was still taking the boat out. Uh, he's got, they live up in Walkworth, and so he's got a, a little boat that he takes out to go fishing. And, and he's still involved and still doing a lot of things. But one thing that you might notice that happens with, with uh, people as they grow a little older is that they start to lose their sense. Their, some of their senses start to drown out a little bit. Uh, maybe you've got a, a grandparent or someone in your family that... You, you tell them something and they say, what? And you say it again and you have to say it nice and slow. Or sometimes you speak and they don't even know that you're talking and they're, sometimes they're hearing. And it's funny because the wife usually mocks uh, her husband, Roger. She's 88 and he's 90 and she's like, he's such an old bag. He can't hear a thing, and even though she can't hear a thing. And so it's pretty funny how they interact. And the other thing that they start to lose is their, 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 their sight. And you know, uh, many people as they get a bit older start to need to get glasses or they might not see as well as they, they once did. And that's because just over the period of time, your senses aren't as strong as they once were. And that's true in our age. But sometimes as Christians, we can start to lose some of our sensitivity to certain things. And we can start to lose our spiritual senses. And the one major thing that I've seen a lot of people lose over a period of time serving God is they lose their sight of God. When they first got saved, it's, oh God, Thank you. And they're solely focused on God. And then come circumstances, come problems, come issues, come life. And then that focus isn't necessarily on God anymore. It can focus on many other things. I don't usually quote Prince in a sermon, but um, he's got a key a quote here. He says, the key to longevity is to learn every aspect of music that you can. And he says, you want to be relevant musically, learn every aspect that you can. And so you'll, you'll, you'll uh, extend your career. But that might be true for music, but the long, for longevity for the Christian, we need to learn every aspect about Christ so that we can keep our eyes clearly on Him. I asked various people through the years that have been saved a long time, and I asked them the same question, and they always give me the same answer. I said, how do you keep serving God long term? And they all say, I kept my eyes on Jesus. Every single one. Pastor Walsh is coming uh, very soon in, in about a month's time. He's been saved over 30 years, pastoring over 30 years, actually. Uh, Pastor Glenn Cluck has uh, saved, I think, nearly 50 years. All these pastors, I, I ask them constantly, or even people that have been saved in the church, not pastoring. What, ke what keeps you serving God for such a long time? They all say, I have devotion to Jesus. I've kept my eyes on Jesus. So I'm going to preach a sermon tonight. I've entitled, Do You Want to See Jesus? And my plan is that all of us, we see Christ tonight. And not only tonight, but when you're turning 90, you can still see God. And that it continues through a lifetime. So let's read from Luke chapter 18, verse 35 down to verse 43. The Bible says, Now it happened that as he came near Jericho, that a certain blind man had sat down the road begging. And he heard a multitude passing by, and he asked what it meant. And so they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more. It's like telling your kids to be quiet, right? And they cried out all the more, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he said to him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray before we start. God, Lord, I pray in these last days where there's so many distractions, God, there's so many different influences, God, help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, not on our problems, not on our failures, not even on our strengths, God, but help us to focus solely on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, get, help us to get rid of any distraction, put everything aside, and let our lives live wholeheartedly devoted to you, that at the end of our life, we can still see you clearly as we did when we first believed. Let the Holy Ghost touch every person tonight. And in the mighty name of Jesus, everybody says, Amen. Let's look first at the battle for your eyes. And in our text, the, Jesus is walking through Jericho. You might have noticed that the first. He was going through Jericho. And Jericho is a very famous city. As you would have, if you went to Sunday school when you were younger, or maybe you didn't, but you would know the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Jericho was the first battle that they faced in the promised land. And ev- what everyone knows Jericho is all about is about walls. In Joshua 6, verse 1 and 2. Now Jericho was securely shut up because, because of the children of Israel. No one went out and none came in. So Joshua, he's in the will of God and the purpose of God, taking the, the promised land for Jesus. And he goes and the first thing he sees is Jericho. He doesn't see victory. He sees walls. And these walls, they say, were, were 4.7 meters thick. And the, there was actually three tiers of walls. And the first wall was three and a half meters high, which is higher and this platform just here, that's about 3.2, I believe, from memory. And so that's the first wall. And then it goes up on a slant to another wall. Then it goes up on a slant to another wall. And the highest wall, commentators say, was 14 meters high. And here is, here is Joshua. I'm in the will of God. Let's go. Let's do something for God. And he goes. And what he sees is an impossible situation. How can you defeat this? You can't try and break through the wall. can't throw rocks at the wall. You can't climb the wall. It's too high. And Jericho represents a stronghold or something that's impossible. A stronghold is a place that has been strengthened so, it's, uh, so as to protect it against any attack. And the devil creates strongholds even when we're in the will of God. He creates areas of our lives that can't be, hindered, can't be attacked like mindsets that people have. Some people, no matter how much you talk to them, they still won't forgive that person. Some, no matter how much you talk to them, there's still bitterness, there's still pride. There's still doubt. There's still unbelief. And there's these, these mindsets. Or there could be a habit. Maybe you, you, you did some um, uh, resolutions for this 2020. Maybe you did. If you haven't, we're going to do that on Sunday night. But maybe you did and you've already broken it, right? Because they're very easy to break. There's a habit that I just can't break. I've kept trying and I keep trying and I keep trying and I can't break free. There's habits. There's addictions. There's attitudes. Issues of life, financially, there's a stronghold. I can't break free financially. Relationally, I can't. Spiritually, I can't break free. And all of us have an area of our life that's a stronghold that we can't break free. This represents Jericho. And look what God says to him, verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. Okay, hold on a second. Let's all put ourselves in, in Joshua's shoes. You just saw Jericho. It's walls everywhere. And God says, See, it's yours. It's like, this doesn't make sense. From what I can see, this is a problem. 
from what I can see, I can't break free here. From what I could see, this is impossible. I see walls, I see obstacles, I see issues, I see problems. Yet, God sees victory. So the issue is, whose eyes do you see with? Do you see with physical eyes or spiritual eyes? Because they're totally different. And if we live our lives in just physical eyes, we're going to live a very depressed life. There's a, you know the song, I Could See Clearly Now? I can see clearly now the rain is gone. And it's a cool song. It's like, that's solid, but well done, Einstein. You can see clearly because the rain's gone. What if the rain's here? That doesn't help me. What if it's cyclone weather? I can't see. I have to wait till this is gone and I can't do anything until I do something. No. Despite Jericho's walls, God says, I want you to see through the problem. What he says here, he says, see means to look at, inspect, perceive, or consider. God's saying, I don't want you to see like you see. I want you to consider what I see. And we view life very different to God. Someone said, this is a bit of a long quote, but it's good. Seeing, seeing your life only through your own eyes can present a very narrow, critical, and limiting view of yourself. How many people do you know like that today? They only view life from one aspect and that's it. Where you see failure, God sees ministry. Where you see all you don't have, God reminds you of all that you do have. When you can't see a way out or a path forward, God sees through to the other side. When you see defeat, God sees a victory in the making. You must learn to see yourself and your situation through God's eyes if you intend to see what's true, what's possible, and what God has planned. And I love this. Because here is Jericho. It represents a problem. And God says, you know what? I've got issue. I can sort out problems. How many believe God can still sort out problems? But it's not through our ways. We think, I just need to break the wall. Pastor, I need, to break, I, need to get strong, I need to break the wall. God says, no, you just need to be quiet and walk around the wall. For six days, be quiet. Shh. And that's a, I think that's almost a bigger miracle for staying quiet for six days than the actual walls come. But it's another sermon. So. And on the seventh, seventh day, they walk around seven times and then they blow the trumpet and the walls come crashing down because God says, I have all the answers you need. You just need to look to me and not look at the wall. So the first step of the promised land was to see God in the midst of trouble. Now in our text... So remember, this is Jericho, represents God's victory and seeing God. And Jesus comes back to Jericho. If you read the story in Joshua 6, it's actually the, the commander, the angel comes to Joshua. And that's actually Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So he's coming again to, Josh, to, to Jericho and he comes a second time. And instead of seeing people shouting for victory like he left it, you see a blind man begging. This is God's, God's people. This is God's son. And instead of God's people living in victory... God's people are begging. God's people are on the side of the road. And God's not encouraged here. So in hard times, how many had this advice? You've gone through a tough time and someone said, just focus on God. Keep looking to God. And you say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And then they left. You're like, what the heck does that even mean? How do you focus on God? How do you look to God? And we don't, don't lose your focus on God. How do we, that, that, for most people, we don't even know what that means, but we say it because it sounds Christianese, right? So, Seeing God is this, when you see life spiritually, not physically. That's how you see God. It's when you view your problems through the lens of God's eyes instead of through our eyes. Because the devil wants you to focus on the natural, but God wants you to focus on him. Because our perspective changes everything. What's the, the most famous psalm? Psalm 23, 4. Yea, either I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a pretty big statement. Anybody going through the shadow of death right now? Anybody nearly died today? 
Most likely not. If you did, it's okay. Still, we've still got hope here. Even though I'm going through the, I'm close to death, he says, I don't fear. Why? Because I look, because God's with me. My eyes are on God, not on the shadows and not on death. Because how many believe, how many know, <laughs> when we go, we don't even go through the valley of the shadow of death. We go through the valley of the shadow of a bad day. And we're like, God, what the heck, man? And we're ready to quit everything. But David, he's, I don't fear. Because I, I have a heavenly perspective. So what's your perspective? Do you view life through what you can do? Or through what God can do? Because if you li live life through what you can do, life is very depressing. Very depressing. I don't have the answers to life. But I serve a great God. And he knows every answer. He can get me through. Second Kings 6, Elisha's with his servant. And um, the enemy comes to attack him. Now, two people versus an army, you're, you're going to die, right? Like, this is, there's no way out here. But yet, Elisha stays completely calm. Look at 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He says, don't, don't worry. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, at this point, like, the servant would have been like, Elisha got on the, you know, he had a few drinks last night. Because there's two of us, and he reckons there's more of us than them, and there's an army. If we viewed that, all of us will freak out. All of us will be like, what the heck? I can't do this anymore. Ready to quit on God. Ready to quit everything. And he doesn't even get out of bed. He goes, oh, don't worry. There's more of us than them. But that's not true physically. So it says in verse 17, that Elisha prayed, Lord, I pray, open up his eyes that he can see. He could already see, but he couldn't see spiritually. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Because you think you're going through your problem by yourself. But God says, I've got a whole army protecting you, man. I've got the fire of the angels of God surrounding you. And when the enemy thinks they've won, you just need to open your eyes. Because God's with us. Amen. Let's look secondly at the blinding of our eyes. That's the battle. The blinding of our eyes. There's an article. Only an Australian will do this. But Rebecca uh, uh, Ozzie, Ozzie or Assi, that's how you say her name, received a disability pension for 21 years after telling Centrelink, which is like uh, work and income, that she was blind when she wasn't. When authorities finally pounced on her blindness fraud, they discovered that she was running a school for other would-be fraudsters from her housing commission home. When police raided her home, they discovered nearly $250,000 in her home safe. So she lived on the benefit for 21 years, saying that she was blind, and she wasn't blind at all. She just scammed the government. Now, how you think like that, I don't know, something, you know. And Aussies, why would you want to go to Australia for? And then she, had, then she was training other people. She's a grandma. She's got a school. And she's teaching him how to, how to ruin the government, right? She could see the whole time, but she just claimed that she couldn't. She wanted the victim. She wanted help. She wanted some sort of... She had played the victim card. And just think about that. To be honest, don't we play like this woman? The main reason we become spiritually blind... Not because we can't see God. It's because we choose not to see God. Or you tell me you can't see God? You tell me God can't be found? I think the reason we just don't want to see. Because when we see, that means we have to act. You know, that's the saying, the man look. Ladies know exactly what I'm talking about. When you tell your husband, can you guys look for this? And he goes, I can't find it. Because we look like this. Okay, could have, I looked, right? It's the man look. 
You, this is, uh, do you know how, this happens so often, like all the time. I say, Beck, where's such and such? And then I'll be looking, for, and she can tell me, and I'm looking for it. And I go, Beck, I can't find it. Where did you? Oh, that's no, here. It's fine. All the time. Because I'm not really looking. I just want her to get it for me, right? I'm not really opening my eyes. And to be honest, how many times have we done that to God? God says, here I am. And we're like, God, I can't find you. Oh, you cannot, yeah, okay. And God's like, I'm, I'm here. Just, just open your eyes just for one second. People say things like, I don't know the way out. We say things like, I don't know what to do. Like that's an excuse to sin. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I don't see a way out. But we do. You're telling me that you think the way out is pulling back from God? You're telling me that's going to help you? You're telling me you think in your eyes that's the right idea. None of us do say that. But the issue is, I just don't really want to see God. It's not that God can't help. We just like playing the victim card. Come on, somebody. Say amen with me. I know we're, I know we're getting somewhere here this, this evening. I feel, I feel God already. This is great. Praise God. You know when you've got binoculars? Ever look through the binoculars the wrong way? And something's massive, but it looks so far away. You're looking at it wrong. There's a, the right side where something looks massive, and then the wrong side, it looks very, very small. How many of us, we look at our problems, and our problem, we make our problem massive. Then we flip it and turn to God. See, God, you can't help me because we make God so small. When in reality, our problems are like this, and God is everywhere all the time. But it's the problem is our vision of God and our vision of our problems. So how do you view God? What side of the binoculars do you see God? Do you see God as this guy who just can't help you? Your problem's too big. I know everyone out in the world has been helped by God, but your problem... I know God, not even God can help you in your problem. Not even God. And this is where we get to sometimes. Our problems are huge, but God looks so small, and that's the devil's plan, right? In our text, the religious people, they're trying to stop him. He's reaching out for God, and they're, trying to, they're saying, hey, be quiet, be quiet, shh, be quiet. And Jesus has all the answers. He's the one we need to go to. Ezekiel 12, 2. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but does not see, has ears to hear but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Can I tell you, if you live in rebellion to God, you can't see nothing. You can't see nothing. You have eyes, but you can't see God. You can't see his help. You can't see his strength, his power, his direction, or his guidance. And for those who can't see God, man, it's a, it's a hard life for a number of reasons. Some major setbacks. Number one, you disqualify yourself from God's blessing. Luke 19, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. We've seen that. But he says some interesting words in Luke 19, 41 to 43. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. And he talks about the enemy that will come. So when, you're, when you don't see God, you don't see any blessing. You could be surrounded. Jesus is in Jerusalem, but they don't see Jesus. In reality, though, they chose not to see Jesus. So number one, you disqualify yourself from blessing. Number two, you live with no restraints and make bad choices. Proverbs 29 to 18. For where there is no vision, no revelation of God and his word, the people are unrestricted. Another translation says the people perish. 
Church, we must have a vision of God and see what God is doing, not just on the sunny days of life. Thank God for the sunny days. But if we can't serve God on a rainy day, we're in trouble. Like, how often does it rain? It rains all the time. It rained yesterday. So can we only serve God when we can see clearly? We need to have a vision, even through the rain. It's like, that doesn't change my situation. I still know who God is. We can't be childlike in our faith and believe, oh, God's only good on the sunny days and bad on the rainy days. God is good all the time. We say amen. And we must keep our eyes focused on Him. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if you read this, it led to problems, chaos, and pain. Because people just did what they wanted. And can I tell you, the worst thing you can do in life is just do you. Because the world says, just do you. Don't worry about them. Just do you. Or in the Bible says, don't do you. The Bible says, deny you and follow Christ. No restriction. I'll just do whatever I want because you have no vision of God. The third thing that happens when we live without a vision of God is that we live in depression. Don't we live in probably the most depressed society ever? Because there's no vision of God. First Kings 19, Elijah, he's just calls down fire from heaven. Fire comes down, consumes a sacrifice. And then the lady says, you know what, Elijah, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. So he runs away and tells God, I don't want to live anymore. I'm all alone, God. And God says, shut up. There's 7,000 other people like you. Because when we're not looking at God, who are we looking at? Looking at ourselves, And then we don't see the 7,000 other blessings that God has provided for us. And he weighed down in life. Listen, don't look in the wrong direction. Depression can be healed instantly. I'll tell you how you know. Look to God because God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Even as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Now, if anyone actually grasps that, hey, I don't know what's going on in life, but God's with me. And God's going to help me out of this situation. No matter how bad it gets. And that's, that's the healing process. But this is for another sermon. But many people, they can be set free. But they, they like the feeling of pain. And they prefer to feel pain instead of going through victory and taking responsibility. And finally, you end up making the wrong decisions. In Matthew 15, the disciples, they run out of food. And they say, Jesus, there's no food left. Send everybody home. Go, send everyone home. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? I'm calling everyone to myself. And then he multiplies the, the bread and the fish. You know that story. Give me, let me give you a life lesson. Never make a decision in the midst of a storm. If ever you're feeling down and out, don't make a major life decision. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen. In about a week, you're going to regret it. In a month, you'll regret it. And you'll definitely regret it in years to come. So keep doing what you know to do. Tell you what's interesting in our text. This man, he's blind. He is completely blind. But he still knew, found out and knew where Jesus was. So to all those that say, I just can't see God, so I'm going to do nothing. He's blind. Yet he found Jesus. You could be blind here tonight, but you, can, you still know where Christ is. You know where to find him. You find him in prayer. You find him at church. You find him in the word of God. You find him in fellowship. You find him in discipleship. He's blind, yet he finds Christ. So what excuse do we have not to see Christ? So let's close with the blessing of our eyes. The blind man put nothing in his way. It says in verse 41 that he asked God, oh, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And listen to me, church. If you want to see Jesus, there isn't a devil in hell that can stop you from seeing God. 
No one can stop you from seeing Jesus Christ. It is only on us. We are the restricting factors. And as soon as we say, God, I want to receive my sight, there will be an instant deliverance that comes our way. Verse 37, so they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he went before him and warned him, saying that he should be quiet. But he cried even more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. You know, when you cry out to God, Jesus will stop. Because Jesus, listen to me, church, Jesus was passing this man by. He wasn't going to be there forever. He was passing by. And he had an opportunity to reach out to God. And he called out, and Jesus stopped his plans and commanded that he be brought near. There is no demon that could stop you from getting to Jesus. Because in our text, he commanded it. This man starts off blind, with no future. He's begging. He's got no hope. He's in a desperate situation. No one could help him. It's impossible. Yet he cries out to Jesus. And after this, he receives his sight, becomes a disciple, and they throw a party. And he lives happily ever after. All because he said, I want to see you, God. God, I want to see you. Luke 19, there's a story of Zacchaeus. And here is Zacchaeus. He's trying to see Christ, but there's crowds, there's all these people. And Luke 19, 3 to 5, and he sought to see who Jesus was. Again, it's his desire. And he could not because of his crowd. He was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree to see him. And when he was going to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. And later on, Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. How many of you want salvation to come to your house? You want this power of God to come to your house. It comes when you say, God, I want to see you. God, I want a vision of you. So the question is true. How do you view life? Because I'm sort of over people saying, oh, God can't help me. That's a big insult to God. That's a massive insult to God. Do you see God? I ask you, in your darkest moment, can you see God? Someone said, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I like that quote. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Because in our text, it says, immediately he received his sight. And if you want to see God, you can immediately. Immediately there's a change. Our faith leads to sight. He was once bleeding on the, sitting on the floor. Now he's a disciple of Christ. So my question is, which one are you? Are you sitting on the floor saying how, li- how hard life is? Because you choose what you see. It's your choice. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Isaiah 6.1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. There's a lot in here, and I was going to use this text as my main text, but I decided not to. But two major things. Number one here, King Uzziah had everyone's focused, and he wasn't a good king. And once he died, then he could see God. They could see the true king once the false king died. Maybe there's a false king on your heart. And maybe the reason you can't see God is because there's another king sitting on the throne of your heart. And maybe that king needs to die. Then you could actually see the Lord lifted up high and lifted up. And that word Lord here this, in this text it means, it says Adonai, which is supreme ruler. 
of the universe. I think the reason people can't see God is because there's another king sitting on their heart, on the throne. And most of the time, that king is ourselves. We can't see God because we're too busy looking at ourselves. My needs, my desires, how I feel, what I'm going through. And sometimes I think we just need to let that, let yourself die on the cross. Let it, let it die. Die to yourself. We just read in, in 1 Corinthians, I was going to send this out, but I, I didn't because it's a bit too deep. Paul says, I die daily. You know, I, I answered the altar call once. No, no, every day, die to me. And when King Uzziah died, then we could see God. So what needs to die in your, in your life? What mindset needs to die? What attitude needs to die? What rebellion needs to die? So we can see God. And also in this text, another way we could, I was going to go, is that even through tragedy, the king in those days was like a god. And when the king died, this is a, everyone would go into mourning. Even in tragedy, you could still see God if you want to. The king died. Yeah, he could still see God. And maybe you hear, no, that's not true. That's, that's just, people just say that, but when they go through it, they don't, they don't, that doesn't really happen. Well, that's not true. Because when my cousin Johnny passed away, his mum immediately, he died on a, on a Wednesday or Thursday. He died on a Thursday and the funeral was on Monday. His mum immediately started fasting from that Thursday to the Monday and she broke it after the funeral. And the reason being is because she wanted, because he, he started playing rugby and she wanted those other people that played rugby that were going to come to the funeral to meet Jesus. She lost her son. Immediately, she goes, I need to look to God. She immediately started fasting. I think, I think, we, um, I think we blow up our problems a bit too much. I think we're addicted to the problem. I was talking to someone, even from Oz today. I said, hey man, how you doing? He said, like, what's wrong? Like, it sounded really bad. I was like, what's wrong? Like, oh, I had a rough morning. I woke up late, traffic. I couldn't find my stuff. It's like, get over yourself, man. Like, that's a bad day. But to some people, like, man, my problem is so big. No, it's not. Not in light of God. Not if you're looking at God. And I think like 1,300 people came to his funeral. Um, and a number of them gave their heart to Christ. I think I told you, Israel Falau was sitting behind me and I tried to take a selfie. During the, but then I was like, there's a funeral. I probably shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing this. Anyway, I close with this scripture. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Remember, this is about longevity if you're going to make it long term. Not if you can just make it out of your teens or your 20s, but make it through to your 90s. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we have, we have people in heaven cheering us on. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now, how do we run with endurance the race set before us? Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven.
That's, that's incredible. And he was able to do that because he was looking to God. This word looking is actually a very deep word. It says to turn the eyes away from other things and to fix them on something. A deliberate focus to put your mind on something to separate from everything else. Imagine if we actually live like that, church. If all the problems, all the issues, all the walls of Jericho were there and we said, you know what, God, I fixed my eyes on you. I look to you, God. It, that, that word they're looking in the, in the Greek, it's only used one time in the whole Bible and it's used right there. Because it says that's how we need to look at Jesus. Not that, oh, I might turn to Jesus. It means he's everything to me. You got family problems? Look to Jesus. You got financial problems? Look to Jesus. You got health problems? Look to Jesus. You got 99 problems? <laughs> look to Jesus, man. This is my favorite song. I close with this. I think this is called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. One of my favorite old hymns. It says, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will draw, will, will draw sorry, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Because we just need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Then you, when you look to Christ, that problem that was going to consume you at two in the morning that you couldn't ever get through, it looks pretty small now. Because God is great. So like David, let us... And he says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So lift up your eyes, church. Look to Jesus. Let's be serving God until we take our final breath. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray.